If you have your Bible, open it to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you one. We're continuing our series, Under the Sun, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to be in chapter 9. Last week, Michael took you through chapter 8. He took you to the beach, the sandbox, and Paris Hilton's closet. just where he's at. Uh, This week we're going to be in chapter 9 and we're going to look at a small portion of this chapter, the end of the portion. And you know, we're coming across this place and I know the book of Ecclesiastes has been one where it's been talking about meaningless, meaningless, just life is meaningless, this is meaningless, that is meaningless. And you're probably saying, this this series is becoming meaningless. Can we move on to something with hope and meaning? Not yet. Um, Actually, we're going to take a little bit of a turn where we're going to be talking about some things that I think are going to help give us some insight and hopefully encouragement in where we are at. One of the things that we're going to look at today is something that greatly impressed Solomon. And what we should take notice of is how it impressed him. Have you been, ever been in a room where everybody's an expert? Everyone knows, you know, how to, to coach. If you're watching a football game, everyone's an armchair quarterback. If you're watching a basketball game, Phil Jackson is blowing it. He's leaving, you know, this person in too long. He should take that person out. Everyone's an expert until an expert actually comes into the room. Have you noticed that? And then you become normal again. And and I found this true in my life. There's been times where, you know, I play a little bit of guitar. And if if someone's just starting out on guitar, yeah, I can show you a few things. I have no problem showing. You know, look at this chord progression. And you can, you know, do this circle of fifths so you can change keys easy. And, And I spout off my knowledge, you know, to try and just, yeah, I know a little bit. But if you put a real guitar player in the room, you know, uh, Lee Rettenauer, Doyle Dykes, Joe Satriani, someone who really knows how to play. Do you think I'm going to give any advice? No, I'm going to shut up. If someone says, well, you know, Sam plays guitar, I go, no, I don't know. Because compared to these guys, I don't play guitar. I don't know what they do. If I play guitar, they do something else. Michael's language, mythical, magical things. And so when there's this expert there, it tends to to quiet the room. And it happens all the time just in in our life. Everyone knows physics until someone who's a physicist enters the room, and then you're stupid. It's like, well, I guess I don't know string theory. I just saw the PBS thing on it, you know. I really didn't get that deep into it. And so what we have here is this time where Solomon goes into this area where he is an expert and he talks about someone who is an expert. And so we're going to look at chapter 9, starting at verse 13, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter here, verse 18. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. And so that should stop us right here. Here is a man who is known for wisdom. His wisdom in horticulture, his wisdom in the just 
arts, the wisdom that he had where people would gather just to hear him speak. This is a man who's known for wisdom, and he saw an example of wisdom that greatly impressed him, something that caused him to just be in awe, that took his breath away. And so we're going to read what that is. He goes on in verse 14, There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Now, as we read this account of this wisdom that captured Solomon's attention, do you notice anything missing in the story? Yeah. What did the guy do? It's like he gives us this little glimpse of something, but he's missing all the details. You know, you read this and you say, well, what was so wise? What, what did this guy do that made Solomon stop and say, this is greatly impressive? We don't get the account. We get this generic and general details. And you see, what I think Solomon is focusing on is on some specifics that maybe we would not normally focus on, some things that stood out to him that greatly impressed him. And it wasn't the details. It wasn't that this guy did thus and such. It has to do some more with some general things. And he gives us a clue on what these things are. First of all, he tells us that it's a small city with few people. And so he's giving us some details that this wasn't in a, a place that of great magnitude. It was just a a small city. It had a few people. And then he talks about this person, and he says he was a poor man. And he says that twice. And so this guy wasn't the mayor of a big city. We're not talking about this guy is, you know, the, the mayor or governor of some great area. He, he's in a small city, and he's not even anybody in this small city. And, and so we see that what really is taking place here, here is a man who, against all odds, did something incredible and beyond his seeming potential. Here is a person who did not take notice, or we would not take notice of, but did something that was quite noteworthy of. And this moved Solomon. And I think what's happening is instead of this being a, a big person in a big city doing big things, you know, here's the mayor of New York, the Big Apple, and he's making this kind of change and it's affecting all these people. This isn't a big fish in the big ocean. We're talking about a guppy in a puddle. The guy just didn't have a whole lot going for him. But what he did was incredible. 
what he did had huge effects beyond him. And, you know, I, I think we have this idea of, of to make an impact, we have to be people who have substance. We have to have wealth. We have to have status. We have to have this position. And we like to think of ourselves as people of position. We like to think of ourselves as experts until a real expert comes in. We kind of totter between arrogance and you know, self-grandeur in our minds until the reality of who we are sometimes is confronted. It's like the person you talk to them and say, well, I was second in my graduating class. And you go, oh, wow, that's impressive. Then you find out they were homeschooled and had a younger sister. <laughs> but we all want to, to be a person of importance. We all want to have that status. This person didn't have that. He didn't have those things that were going for him. And I think what Solomon was amazed at is if a nobody could do something this big, what could a king do? What could someone who had potential? In other words, Solomon is, is I believe, looking at his own life and he was marveled because here he was, was a king, a person of influence, a person who had a lot going for them. But here was someone who had little going for them, who made a huge impact. And that opened up a, a door of thinking that said, what could I do? What influence could I make with what I have? And let's face it, most of us aren't like Solomon. We weren't born into a place of affluence. We weren't born into a place where we have control. We aren't king, no matter what you think at home, okay? We don't have this. And so Solomon had a lot going for him, but he was not able to accomplish in comparison what this poor man did, this person who had nothing. And you see, maybe God is calling us into a life that is bigger than ourselves. Maybe what struck Solomon is that there is a potential that is bigger than what we would give a person that is waiting for us to step into it. Maybe there is a future that you are waiting to step into that is actually bigger than who you are. And that kind of thinking can frighten us. At least it frightens me. And we see that it's, it's always been that case. If you've ever felt inadequate or, or maybe like, you know, you're not, you're not sufficiently qualified for life itself, you're just not able to, to achieve a lot, have these feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. Anyone ever feel inadequate? The rest of you are liars. We are always confronted with this inadequacy. And sometimes it's just apparent in our lives. I can remember it was in my late 30s, I had a job change. 
I'd previously worked at a church, and then I went into construction, doing some design, and then I went into installation, then I went into managing, and then I had a whole different change and moved into this lumberyard. And I started at the bottom. In fact, what the, my title was, you know, how people have, well, he's the manager, you know, he's the assistant manager, he is, you know, operations supervisor. My title was Yard Dog. <laughs> so here I am in my late 30s with a career change, and what am I? I'm a yard dog. And then I'm sitting there working in this lumber yard where I sort lumber by thickness, and I would move it here and move it there, just kind of a grunt doing all this work. And I remember hearing the owner of the company talking with this other guy who worked at a mill, and he said, you know, oh yeah, Sam just started working here. Yeah, he's a yard dog. Yeah, he really doesn't know anything. And I'm like, who said ouch? <laughs> exactly. Not only am I a yard dog, I'm a yard dog who doesn't know anything. And I remember having this feeling of, oh my gosh, I've got a family, I've got four kids, I'm in my late 30s, and I'm starting over, and I'm a yard dog who doesn't know anything. But my future's bright. <laughs> I can only go up from here, right? And I remember feeling this overwhelming just insecurity of, what am I doing here? Is this what my life has come to? Am I really at this place in my life? And I remember very vividly God speaking to my heart and giving me, in a sense, perspective and saying, you know me. You know enough. My life is not locked into this place where this is all I am. You see, this poor man, he wasn't someone who was made it to the top in this small town. Even in a small town, he didn't make it to the top. He was still poor. And at some point in this man's life, when this powerful king laid siege to their small town for whatever reason, maybe it was, you know, because it was a strategic place that could get them to somewhere else, maybe it was for their natural resources, whatever reason, they laid siege to this town. No one else was able to succeed. The young and stronger men could not help. They were outnumbered. They were outmatched. And though he didn't have affluence and he didn't have a place of prestige in this small place, he had something that could make a difference, and it did. And I wonder if we see ourselves in a similar place. You know, I don't have what it takes, but maybe you have something that can make a difference, and it will if you recognize it if you understand and step into what is the potential. Because at some point, he took hold of what was his destiny, what was his abilities, and they were bigger than him. And you see, you're not just a mother. You're not just a clerk. 
at the store. You're not just a yard dog, whatever it is. That is not your limit. There is much more potential that is there that we usually are afraid to step into. And it's always been the case. Because if we're satisfied with our lives, the odds are we're living a life that is below what we should be. Because God always calls us to this life that is bigger than who we are. He did it with Moses. Moses said, I can't do this. I can't go and save this nation. I, 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 I stutter. Joseph, a single man who helped save a nation from starvation. Esther. So many people who stepped into a role that was bigger than them. And none of them said, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I qualified. I went to college. I, I got it handled. I know how to take care of this. All of them, when confronted with this potential, said, this is bigger than I can handle. This is bigger than me. But they stepped into that task and did incredible things. And I think what we think is that's usually for someone else. That's not for us. That, that's those people. They had special qualifications I don't have those qualifications. Well, here's something that greatly impressed Solomon. Here's a poor man in a small town who saved the city from a great and powerful king that laid siege. We want the details. What did he do? How did he do it? Because then maybe I can copy those things. Maybe I can market them. Maybe I can write a book about it, and then I can sell it. Anything but have to really just do it. Have to step into it and live it. That's what impressed Solomon, is that this man actually did that, that he determined that this was what he had to do, and at some point he stepped into that role and accomplished it. You see, the accomplishments that are before us, they're not greater for you than they are for the next person. The things that you need to move forward in, they are as monumental for you as they were for this poor man if you want to do something that's Incredible. See, Mount Everest didn't get taller for those who didn't make it to the top. It's the same height for everybody who tries to climb it. What needs to change is the determination of the people within them that makes the difference to how, if they're going to climb the mountain or not. It's not, oh, Mount Everest is higher this year. I don't think I'm going to go for it. But our perspective always sees those things bigger. And you see, really what we need to do is recognize that the only way we're going to overcome overwhelming circumstances is by an overriding commitment to something greater than ourselves. And the only obstacle you will not overcome is the one that is bigger than your commitment. The only obstacle you will not overcome is the one that is bigger than your commitment. And so what obstacles are in your life right now and how much are you committed to them? What things do you want to see take place in your life and how much are you committed to them? Because if you roll over and die, 
It's not going to take place, whatever it is. These are commitments in your life. Maybe it's a commitment in a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. How much are you committed to that marriage? What are the obstacles? How are you committed to that? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it is your children. You're, you're in disarray in your family. You're at odds with your kids. How much are you committed to them? Or have you put up a wall and say, nope, it's too difficult. This is the line. I'm not going to commit to these things any further. And it stops right there. And those obstacles were not committed to pushing our way through those things. We're not committed to seeing those things take place. Because life is not going to just roll over and die. Have you noticed that? I mean, we could talk all about, yeah, the great things we need to do. Oh, yeah, there's so much potential. Yeah, and then you go outside, and it's 106 degrees out. And, man, life is tough. And our economy right now is just in the pits. And life is not going to just hand itself over to you. You see, there was a powerful king that laid siege to this small town. This is big things that are oppressing onto things that are much smaller. And it's very easy to give up. It's very easy to say, I can't do this. Just can't make it. And let's take the economy. You know, what if the economy doesn't get better? What if things continue to get worse? What if your candidate doesn't get elected? Is that where your hope is? Do you know that there are people who are still accomplishing great things in a fallen economy? There are people who are doing incredible charity work and raising millions of dollars in a fallen economy? How? They're committed to seeing through even though there is obstruction. Their commitment will see past the obstacles in their life. They find ways. They're inventive. They're creative. But if the mountain is too high and I just can't climb it and I give up, guess where you're going to be? And you see, this takes place in every arena of our lives, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's spiritual. I can't do that, man. I've had this addiction for so many years. It's just too big for me. What is your commitment? Is your commitment to be the person God has created you to be? Or do you give up? The mountain's just too high. I just can't do it. The king is too powerful. The siege is too strong. I just can't get past this. This greatly impressed Solomon that this poor man in this small town would save the entire town. And we see examples of that all throughout Scripture, that people rise and become bigger than who they are. And you're saying, Sam, you know, I didn't come for this, you know, happy seminar. I didn't come for this, you know, give me prosperity thing. You know, if I wanted to go to that Timmons guy or whoever he is, you know, I could go and, and get a, a, some kind of seminar that's going to be self-motivation. I'm not here for that. Well, I'm not here for that either. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask what these words mean to you that Jesus said. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, what does that 
do to you? He doesn't say you're the light of your home. You're the light of your room. I can handle that. He says you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, this is who Jesus sees us as if we are following after him, if we've made a commitment to him. He says, I see you as making a difference. I see you as having an impact on the world around you. I see you as influencing people. I see you as an example, a city that can't be hidden. I see you up here. The question is, where do you see yourself and why? And what are you doing to get from here, wherever you are at, to here where God sees you and wants you to be? What is stopping you from getting to that place? And I suggest that it is our commitment to the things that God has called us to that stops us from reaching that. That's too high. I can't do it. You guys know that when you want to do something, you find ways to do it. It doesn't matter. If it's going fishing, you'll find a way to get there. If it's to get to someone's house, a party, if you're, you know, in love with someone, when Karina and I were dating, I found a way to get there. To find a way to meet her at her house. Even if I had to work and, you know, only had two hours sleep, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. Why? Because I want to be there. You're committed to it. I don't know how many times I've gone and show, to midnight shows. You know the one, okay, it's premiering, it's here, it starts at midnight. What time do you have to be at work in the morning? Five? That's okay, I can do it. I'll get a good two and a half, maybe three hours sleep. I can do it, why? I want to, I find the way I'm committed to seeing that stupid show, whatever it is. And some of them have been so stupid. Matrix 2. Ah. It's two and a half hours I'll never get back of my life. And you're committed and you put yourself into it. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And I submit to us here that there is a life and calling that God has for us that's bigger than you. And it's bigger than you imagine. And when you're confronted by it, it's frightening. And it causes you to, to be insecure, and it causes you to shake, and it causes you to doubt. But God says, you can do it. I've created you for that with all your inadequacies, with all your insufficiencies, you can do it. You are able to do that. That's what I have created you for. And, and you see, we don't know exactly the circumstances around here and 
you know, our minds automatically go to huge things. We think of people who affected millions of people or thousands of people who have, you know, changed whole governments or people who are changing the way we see the world and the communities that govern and have so much influence. But it doesn't have to be a huge thing. I remember there was a young man who was a part of my high school group years ago. And all of a sudden, he started showing up in the high school group. And his name was Kwok Tran. He was from Vietnam. And he didn't speak English very well. And I started to get to know this young man. And I asked, do his parents come here? And he goes, no, my parents, they don't, they don't believe in Jesus. Where, where, where do you live? I live... Uh, you know, about half a mile here. How do you get here? Oh, I walk. Every day, this young man would walk to church on his own. He decided, I need God in my life. I'm going to go to church. He received Jesus Christ, and he made a commitment to go to church, even though no one in his family did, even though he didn't have friends, he didn't know anyone who was there. He just decided he was going to go and became a part of the group. And this young man impressed me because even though he had so many things going against him, he pushed forward to do what he needed to do and what he wanted to do. And I can remember talking with him and him to saying, I just, I, I, I don't feel like I deserve to be here. I don't, I don't deserve the love that God has for me. I, I don't deserve to, to be here at church. I'm like, dude, who does? We, we don't deserve it. And he goes, well, I, I'm not good enough to be a part of this group. And I'm like, dude, look around you. Look at these kids. You're the only one who wants to be here. All these other people have to, not all of them, but a lot of them had to be here. You actually want to be here. You're actually making the commitment to God to walk here every day, even when it rained, to be a part of this group so that you can learn about Jesus so that he can be a part of your life. Your commitment is humbling me. Who you are and what you're up against and what you're doing to get past it is admirable. He had an impact on my life. I saw him and I said, I want to be like him, this high school kid. I was greatly impressed. You see, you can greatly impress somebody just by how you live and what you live for and the things that you are committed to and what you're committed to do. And I guess the question is, what are we committed to do? Because we influence the people around us. I know it's hot, and so the idea of soup doesn't sound really appealing, at least not on hot days. We want something cool and refreshing, which, by the way, Starbucks stopped serving their refresher drinks. I know. What's with that? Uh, I just had to complain, and I thought I would do it in front of all of you. 
But soup, you know, usually it's something on a cold day, a nice hot bowl of soup sounds good. And good soups are, are very nice, you know, and you can actually pay a lot of money for a good soup. But, you know, soup originally wasn't meant to be a, a main course. Soup was kind of a poor man's meal. Soup is what you did when you didn't have real food. You would throw everything left over into this water and you would boil it up and hope that the, the leftovers of these meats and you know the neck of a chicken or whatever these things would, would start to influence some of the flavor of the soup so it would get some nutrients that were there. And so soup was this thing where you would just put whatever was there in the animal that you could get so that it would feed and bring substance to the family. If you doubt that, think about menudo. If you don't know what menudo is, don't ask. It's good, but you don't want to know. And you say, sometimes our life is just soup. You, you might not have a whole lot of potential. You might just be that gizzard or neck bone or whatever it is they throw into that soup. But it's able to actually permeate and influence the rest of that soup. It actually has an effect on that taste. And in our lives, no matter how insignificant we think of ourselves, we have the ability to influence the community that we're a part of. We have the ability to make a difference in the flavor of life for those around us. Do we recognize that? Do we really see ourselves as a light? Do we see ourselves as having potential or are we going to remain just this person poor man in a small town, and I'm not going to step up to the plate. I'm not going to make a difference because look at the obstacles. I'm not committed to seeing those through. Another thing that Paul, I mean Solomon had a problem with here is that no one recognized this poor man. He says here, in verse 15, now there lived a city, a poor man, but wise, and he saved the city in his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. This bothered Solomon. No one recognized him. He did great things, but there wasn't a great memory for him. No one celebrated him. And, and how can someone who did so much mean so little to people? And, and fame is one of those important things for us. You see, to, to be successful, you have to be known. To be a person who succeeds in something, you have to have a lot of friends on Facebook. You know, to, to be a person who has a difference, you have to be a person who influences a lot of people. But this poor man, he didn't have that, and that really bothered Solomon. He did an incredible thing. Why doesn't anybody remember him? And you see, I, I think it would be important for us to kind of remember Jesus' words at this point, when he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, it's not about being noticed. And really, ultimately, what matters is when you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, that that should be enough, that you don't need the acclaims from people. What you really need is the welcome from God that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I wonder if our lives are trying or thinking that we're only successful if we get recognition from people. 
And so we don't involve ourselves in places that won't be recognized because, well, hey, who's going to know? I only want to do this if I'm going to get recognition. Instead of doing it because it's the right thing to do, it's something that will make an influence and have an effect on other people. I, I've been with a number of people in their deathbed when they're dying, when their body is giving out because of cancer or some disease. And I've never been in a place where the people said, hey, you know what I did once? I did this great thing. It's in the newspaper. A lot of people were there. The conversation is always around those that they love, those who have meaning to them. And I doubt that this poor man and his deathbed was saying, wow, no one ever recognized me for that little thing I did. I imagine if he had those people who he loved and loved him there with him, he was good. And so motives are real important. What, what are we doing and why are we doing what we're doing? He goes on and he says, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. And so even this poor man who had the wisdom, even though it was in a small place, it was better to hear what he had to say than that of rulers or fools. And he says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And I think what Solomon is saying here is just as you can influence things for the good, you also can influence things for the bad. When he says a sinner destroys much good, your life can have influence for good or for bad. It can make a difference either way. How is it going to make a difference for you and those around you? What are you committed to doing that will have an influence on those around you? And are you settling because the obstacles are too great and you just do not see yourself as having the potential to do that. If you do feel that way, know that you're in good company. Everyone in Scripture who did amazing things felt the same way. I can't do this. God, I'm too young. God, I don't speak clearly. I'm just a slave girl. I can't have this say. But when they were committed to doing what they knew they should do, God showed up and did the amazing. What would happen if you were committed to doing what you know you should do? The right thing to do. How would God show up? And what amazing things would he do? You might find yourself being the light of the world. Let's pray. God, I have so many excuses to keep me from committing to things that I know are good. I don't have enough time, I don't have enough resources.
but Lord, I have you. And you've called us to step into a life that is bigger than our own. You've called us to step into a life that is connected to you. And what greatly impressed Solomon is impressive still. That we who are small, we who are poor, can actually make a big difference. And that this wisdom, this awareness, can change our direction. And I pray for those who are here this morning who are finding themselves in a pit. And they can't get out and they don't see hope and they don't see themselves as the light of the world and they don't see how they can make a difference. I pray, God, that their commitment would be greater than the obstacles in their life. That they would see through this, pushing forward to the things that they want to see take place in their life and in their relationship with you. And so we would put down our pride that keeps us from reconciling, that we would put down our fear that keeps us from taking those chances and risking and stepping into those areas of life where we are vulnerable. That we would put aside our doubts that you are big enough to help us through the problems, the addictions, and the difficulties that we face. That we would actually put our trust, our faith in you. And do what we are committed to do to follow after you wholeheartedly. Lord, I pray that this room would beam with the light that comes from you in each one who's here. Lord, that we would see ourselves in light of who you said we are, the light of the world, a city on a hill. We cannot be hid. Are we trying to hide? If we are, God, we're sorry and help us to fulfill the commitment to you that we made when we said... I belong to you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, no matter what the cost. I believe in you. Lord, may that belief take us beyond ourselves and into this place that is greater than we can imagine. And I ask you to strengthen us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen.